It's a I miracle have, we get I a show I didn't have to put on your week. Sidonia crystals to figure that out. So I got that. Are you gonna- I hope you're recording that because oh, this is the till. This, is, this would be a very good till episode right here. <laughs> Here's your almanac for tilling the cultural soil with the conversations we plan. With humor, faith, and wisdom. Here's your hosts, Dr. Peter Kapsner, Carmen LeBurge, and I'm Nat. Welcome to the till. Hey, welcome to this episode of The Till. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Carmen. Great to be with you as always. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Nah, people listen to podcasts all hours of the day and night, <laughs> and it's almost four in the afternoon. I know. You are the, you you are the podcast like, is generation, possible, Nat. Is it possible you just got up? I, there's, that's actually true, Carmen. That's a fair question. <laughs> I, unlike yesterday... And last week, I did wake up at like 10 today, so... At 10? That is, so was that hard to get out of bed at that hour? It I was brutal, it was and I was like nine alarms in. Yeah, I can't even imagine. <laughs> okay, so today's subject matter is... Um, well, we're going to eventually get to this main topic of actually talking about the palace intrigue in yeah. Great Britain. We're going to talk about Harry and Meghan, and we're going to talk about the royal family and... Uh, all the kerfluffle related to that. But we have a lead-off topic that Nat is bringing us today. We love this part, Nat. So give us our, our five-minute sort of little riff topic here. Coming from your life, your generation, what was the question that emerged this week? I was on a podcast last night, and we were discussing dating, sort of just how it interacts. And, and we were just talking through it. And, and one thing we were trying to figure out was, where is the line between you dress up nicely for your first date and you sort of hide the slob that you might be or who you are or your defects or like you try and present the best image, right? So it's not wrong to present your best image. That's how you walk into a job interview, right? Like you need to look good and professional. But at some point, does it end up turning into a sort of like a form of manipulation? Is that a continuum? Like how far do you just be like super transparent and not dress up or prep for a person, is it? It's you know, it's got to be respectful to present the best of you. We're kind of just swirling around with all that, and we really could only come up with sort of extremes of like, well, this is bad and this is good. Is there a line? Is it more of a continuum? Hey, Peter, know. Nat yes. knows that people can't see hand motions on the radio, right? Well, I, I think so, but you <laughs> didn't realize that people because, listen to podcasts all time of the day, so I, I'm not sure. Because uh, there were a lot of hand motions. Really, there there was. But I think it's a fair question, right? I mean, it's a fair question because what I'm hearing you say, Nat, is you don't want to get in a relationship that ends up feeling like a bait and switch, right? Right. If you go further in the months that you carry on and carry on, like when do you stop trying to present your very best self to draw the other person in if Never. there is interest, right? Okay, Never. so the car- just go ahead and be your best self. Well, but what that's what I was going to ask you, Carmen. About? No, no, no. I, so I hear sometimes, and I hear this primarily from women, is that sometimes even after they get married, that there's a sense in which they and I've heard the story so you're gonna have to confirm this for me that some women will get out of bed intentionally before their husband wakes up to go get themselves sort of ready for the day as it were because they're always wanting to present themselves in that criteria and by those metrics as this is my best self and I want to present that is is this a true thing hmm well, since I get up at four in the morning to do a morning show <laughs> and I come to my studio at my house in my pajamas, then that means that by the time, you know, Jim is up and Adam and he's got the kids ready to go for the day, I'm still in my pajamas when I go back to the house <laughs> after the show is over. So I'm clearly not that person. However, however, I will say to you that I am of the mindset that if you are home um, before your husband gets home from the for, you know being at work all day. Um, and you have not yet put yourself together, that is certainly the time to do it. Like mm. your husband should come home 
to the best version of you and the best version of your home. And um, there, there is a gift of hospitality there. You should make your husband want to be at home with you hmm. specifically. And so um, there, there is some, uh, I think, some wisdom in that. But I also recognize that, you know, not that's not true for every family system because in every family system, you know, you're not necessarily home before your husband is. Yeah. No, so there that, you go. I think that's fair. I think the other side of this too, that that can go along with that because I feel that way often, even with Hallie after 25 years of marriage is that I don't want to just come walking out like some slob all the time. Um, but, but I, I will say that if relationships are ultimately sort of centered around the intimacy that you share, some of the most intimate realities of Hallie's in my life is that we've seen the slobbiness of each other and, oh, and sure. still, you know, right. And, and you're, you're sort of with and united to that person. So I think it's a both end. I love getting dressed up for the evening the two of us and heading out. And I think that is fabulous. And I love the idea that, um, you know, you wake up in the morning and you toss and turned a bit and maybe, you know, <laughs> had some sort of bad dream and night sweats or whatever. I mean, you're not going to be your best self in that way when you wake up in the morning. And yet there can be some really sweet intimacy in terms of those moments as well. So I think it's a bit of a both and. Okay. I will admit to you, I do have a, you must brush your teeth before. Yes. Anything, I think that's, <laughs> I, I think that's in not, the Bible somewhere. Actually. Do not come my direction with yeah. any sort of unbrushed teeth. Yeah. No, I have not read all of Leviticus, but I, I got to imagine that. I will run across that at some it's point totally in Leviticus. In yeah, there's no question. Okay, is that helpful at all, Nat? Yeah, well, it's a continuation of a conversation that that is a little bit of a perspective I don't think we covered, so that's that's helpful. Yeah, no, I think fair enough. You know, there's no great segue back into British royalty that you previewed, uh, Carmen, but that is sort of the topic for this week of the till. And as we head into that topic, you know, I have been spending uh, about the last month or so in Scotland. Inordinate amounts of time. It has inordinate amounts of time, for sure. My family's been over there for about four months, and and it's uh, been a sweet time. But uh, I I need to confess, first of all, I don't know where you guys land on this, but uh, I know next to nothing about British royalty and British history. British responsibility. I mean, Louis and George and uh, and and Mary and Elizabeth, they're all the same individual for me as far as I'm concerned from a historical standpoint. I know nothing. Now, Carmen, be it now I'm watching reactions in the room. I, I'm not making it up. I've been to these museums and these palaces and seen the pictures and read the history. I can't keep any of it straight. So admittedly, I'm at best a novice on this issue. Do you watch The Crown on Netflix? Well, I did. So, it, it got a little so racy gonna be my later, question. But, yeah, well, I did. So I love The Crown, but then it turned into you know some sort of almost grotesque sexual romp. I couldn't watch it anymore after okay, a little Peter, while. Okay, Peter. Yes. Peter. Yes. Back in the day, I can't ask this question of Nat because it would be silly. Yeah. But okay, back in the day, did you get up at the requisite like two a.m. to watch? Diana Mary oh. Charles. Okay, so that, fair enough. I mean, that yeah, that captivated the world, did it not? Because we all got up in yeah. America yeah. at like two in the morning, yes. so that we could watch this event that was only gonna. I mean, it was only gonna happen once ever in our lifetimes. No, I that this woman was gonna become a princess. It was amazing, and experience. it was magical. It was. I I admit to that. So I th- I think what I'm trying to suggest, however, is whatever my appreciation level is of the British royalty system. I don't understand it at all. Like I don't I couldn't tell you when certain queens lived and certain kings lived and it oh, seems like oh, the current yeah, no. it seems like the no, current queen's been around for a very long period of time. Forever. From yeah. what I can tell. So and I and I it also admittedly didn't quite understand at first the scandal that this is. 
that Megan and Harry have sort of left the building, as it were. But it really is a scandal. And some of the things I do think connect to larger topics. This isn't just about British royalty systems, but it does connect to this idea that I heard a lot from the British press over there, which is that they're, well, they're part of the next generation. They're part of the millennials. They don't really care about institutions in general. And so there does seem to be some ongoing momentum over these last five years to categorize next generation and millennials and Gen X and or I'm sorry, Gen Z and and some of these these newer people coming onto the scene as saying, we don't want to have anything to do with church. We don't want to have anything to do with um, maybe the way business tends to be run. We want to be fulfilled in our business. I'm not going to be a lifetime work person for the same organization. We're not going to stay loyal to brands anymore uh, along these lines. So I'd be curious, your guys' sort of initial thought, uh, that there was a lot of the sense of scandal was that they didn't respect the institution historically. This was very self-absorbed of them, very self-centered of them to just walk away from all of what was there. Nap? Well... I feel like this is kind of like a millennial thing, though, trying to, like, branch out from under the the established institution. Like, definitely, I feel like that's a cultural, I don't know, ideal a little bit now. Try and go off and do something new. And maybe that's always been the case. Like, maybe it is a little disrespectful to royalty. I mean, it's sort of just the way it works. But, I don't know, they didn't get a choice in it. I kind of feel for them. Hmm. Having said that, it is royalty, so like, I'm not sure how you're leaving that. Okay, right. So that would be the conversation that I think ought to be at least acknowledged. Um, this is about blood. Right. And they they are, or he is, royalty by blood, by birth. Um, she accepted not only the blessing um, and all of the privileges, but she also accepted the responsibility of being becoming a part of the royal family when she married a person of royal blood. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that there is um, a legitimate conversation for the royal family to be having with Harry and Meghan um, about not only all of the privileges that they have as royals, but the responsibilities that come along with that. And there's a good opportunity, I think, for an identity conversation. Um, who are you and how did you become who you are? And you are who you were when your parents conceived you. Um, and you have, uh, you know, there, there is an identity issue at stake here. Um, and they, because of their identity as royals, they belong to a royal family and an institution. And that therefore flows into a, you know, like it or not purpose. And we talk about identity, belonging and purpose yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, and the three are connected. And in this case, um, you know, how do you get to hold on to the identity, um, in some parts, but not accept the responsibility that comes along with it. Mm. Yeah. And I think that was, again, uh, the nub of the issue, certainly as people were critiquing the decision was they sort of want all of the trappings of royalty, but not being trapped by the royalty. They sort of wanted to have their cake and eat it too on that level. And, and we'll talk in just a minute about sort of the rise of the personal brand and how they're leveraging an institution for their own personal gain. But I think you, you referenced that word belonging, Carmen, I don't think you can have belonging unless you are part of something bigger, right? It, it doesn't make sense to belong unless you can identify that to which you belong. And so I, I think we can actually extend this into a conversation about our faith journey, where so often there is this emphasis on a personal relationship with Jesus. This is God and me, and it's independent of anything institutional. And I think we can fairly say that the church 
in many circles over the last 10 years has made a relative mess of some certain things from a morality standpoint, from a power standpoint. And I can understand sort of the response to want to leave an institution like the church when the church is filled with division and strife and turmoil, like sometimes it is. But are we not part of a bigger story still? Nonetheless, you can't just walk away from this. We wouldn't have the faith that we have now, if it wasn't for the people about whom we read in scripture, if it wasn't about all of the different theologians and church scholars and desert fathers and mothers and people who have held this tradition for a very long period of time, and we walk in their shadows and we walk in their footsteps. So is there a danger in any of this here saying we're going to resist the institution and become sort of our own thing? You don't belong to anything anymore, and you certainly don't have a heritage from which to draw that makes any sense. And, and it's just now your own story. So Nat, I don't know how you respond to some of that. I know in my classes, again, we just started school yesterday here and we were talking about how sex is talked about in the church. And this topic came up. A lot of students have soured on the church because they feel like the church doesn't have anything relevant to say to their lives these days. But what are the options to just break free from the institution and from sort of the historic reality of our faith? I, it, it's a tricky thing. I don't think it's easy to see much uh, or a third option. It does feel like a bifurcation of, of your choices, right? You have an either or, and, and that's not how it should be. And that's not really how it is, but you do sort of get presented like, well, this is a church. This is how you're going to do it. And if you know, you've grown up in this and it hasn't given the satisfactory answer, then what is your option? It's like, I kind of sympathize with that. And that's definitely something that I think I'll, you know, a lot of, our age group and people around and other kids in the class sort of struggle with. Um, so like, I get that, but also the appeal to an identity needing some larger sort of overarching um, structure is really key. Otherwise there's nothing for you to belong into. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Carmen, come to you just a second on this, but it makes me think that just even right down the hall from this studio, what, when I walk in here to Faith Radio, in uh, whether it's the mornings or the afternoons, is, there are times in which I might be feeling really lonely on the journey. But I walk by this wall of pictures, and there's one specific picture on the wall, somebody who's no longer living, but his name is Spencer Bauer. And he was a spiritual grandfather uh, figure to both Hallie and to me. And mm. when I walk by, I feel like somehow I'm living within his breath, as it were. I'm living within the realities of his life, even though he is now dead. It's like that Hebrews passage where it says, Abel, though dead, still speaks. There's this idea that I'm participating in something bigger than myself. And i that's the critique of Harry and Meghan is that they want to use that which is bigger than themselves for their own personal gain. And, of course, that happens in the church, too. But I don't know. I mean, Carmen, what were sort of your initial reactions to this sort of relationship between the individual and the story, individual and the institution, sense of belonging, some of those ideas? Well, I thought that the um, the statement that Harry and Meghan made um, that they, quote, want to carve out a progressive new role yeah. within the institution. So it, within the institution, they're talking there about the institution of the monarchy, um, within the institution of the royal family. And they want to carve out a progressive new role in the institution, Okay, which seems to just badly misunderstand the whole concept of institution. You don't get to carve out new progressive roles in institutions. <laughs> That's not how institutions work. Right. Um, and so I think that there was a lot of evidence along the way um, that this might be a possibility. Um, I mean, I even think about the difference between, um, all right, his brother is William, right? And William mm -hmm. married 
Catherine? Uh, Kate Catherine? Melton, yep. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, William and Kate, you think about their wedding, okay? It was in the right place. Mm. It had the right guys up front doing the right things, and they got married according to the right institutional liturgy. And then you think about um, Harry and Meghan's wedding. Uh, it was not um, performed. Actually, the the um, the homily was given not even by a person from the Church of England, right? Uh, but by an American Episcopalian. And so, um, when we when we're looking at people who are doing things differently. Sometimes, I mean, you know, there's evidence pretty early on that they intend to change the institution of which they are a part. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not here to say that, you know, I don't like rebels because I do. I'm a Protestant um, <laughs> and I'm an American. So um, on both fronts, right, I'm a troublemaker. Uh, I mean, the, the, the British royal people would say, you know, that we're troublemakers. We're not only Americans, but we're Protestants. And so, um, you know, we are sort of the definition of the progressive new role, not within an institution, but, but completely outside of it. So, I, you know, mm. maybe as uh, American Protestants, it's almost difficult for us to even comment on uh, on this in a way that is meaningful inside uh, the conversation that's going on in Britain. Yeah. I, you know, and, and related to that, too, you reference who did their wedding ceremony. And, and I think some of that set them up to take some unfair shots from the British press. So, I mean, if we're going to talk about sort of this, we're going to leave the institution and do our own thing. There was another side to this, and that was that uh, Meghan Markle comes from a mixed race background. And uh, because that was true, some in the British press took what well, I didn't realize it, but I began to read them. They took some pretty shocking shots at Meghan bringing the equivalent of polluted blood into the royal bloodline because of her ethnic background and her racial background. And so I think on some level, what is the expectation for somebody who is representing an institution with all of the length and the tradition and the story that is the British royalty institution? Should they be expected to sort of stay within that institution and be fair game for those kind of shots as they're looking to uphold the institution? Because there is the sense in which the Brits were, the British press was saying, you don't don't belong here. And then as soon as they made the move to leave, they're saying, you can't leave us. And so it's interesting. I don't know, Carmen, what do you think? This is, this is one of those points in time. And, and I thought this in the lead up to their wedding, when this press was, uh, was always out there. This is one of those points in time where I just wish there was like some real Christians in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who could have stood up and said, now look, in addition to being the Royal family, um, that's in charge of this monarchical system that we have here in Britain. We are also the head of the church. Like they run the, they, they right. are technically the figureheads of the church. Mm -hmm. So, um, it would have been appropriate at that point in time to say, um, this is about one blood. This is not about the kind of blood that's flowing, uh, through my veins, uh, as a quote unquote royal blue blood and your veins as a commoner. This is about us being a Christian people. And as Christian people, we recognize we stand on equal footing at creation, equal footing at the cross, and equal footing in the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. And so it would have been a really good opportunity for them to actually play their Christian card. And unfortunately, nobody in the royal family ever expresses anything that sounds the least bit um, Christian in terms of that kind of worldview. And yeah. that's disappointing. It I mean, is, I find that disappointing. I think terribly so. You referenced the Lady Di at the when when the wedding happened back in the day. There was 
I think surely because of the color of her skin, there was not any of this conversation going on, right? There, there is an assumption in which, even though she was a commoner, as it were, there was not. It was not overladen with these racial tones that you're somehow polluting the okay, blood. But maybe so, I don't remember that but, clearly enough. Well, here's the part you don't remember. Yeah, and because I was like a girl, you know, I do I remember this like yeah. really, really distinctly because she was potentially going to be the mother of the next king. Oh, right? of course. Okay. See, and that's not the that's not the situation with with Harry and Meghan. So right. Ma- Meghan actually did not have to stand up to all of the scrutiny in terms of that 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 uh, Princess Diana did, and then that Kate Middleton did. Um, there were there were virginity tests mm, of Diana. I don't remember that? Are you kidding? Yeah. Really? Yeah, no. Yeah. Totally serious. <laughs> I know. Wow. Nat is now totally freaked. Yeah, Nat, he didn't even know what to say over there, Nat. This might just speechless. This didn't show up He's on the not, crown on Netflix. <laughs> He's so wondering how such things are tested for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm watching a meltdown in studio right now, Carmen, because of it. But I mean, Nat, you've grown... It's interesting because I remember growing up, even the idea of a mixed-race relationship was relatively new on the sociological scene, and it was something that people didn't know what to do with. I mean, is process this for me through your eyes. Is even the idea of a mixed-race relationship anything at all to even be wondered at for, for your generation? I don't think so. I mean, I've it, it, it's something that's always been around ever since I grew up, right? Like, it, I wouldn't question it at all. It, sociologically, it's already well established in the last 20 years so and but carmen correct me if i'm wrong i mean this this is a thing right i mean do you remember when this was a thing we're, we're not too far removed from martin luther king days and, and the jim crow laws and everything so i remember having a few african-american kids in our otherwise all lily white school and even the idea of dating in high school in that situation it was people had open-ended questions it's amazing it's still happening with megan right now but it, it was i mean we're not too far removed from it no, but we are entering into uh, here in the United States of America the first generation of Americans who will not be predominantly white. Yeah. Where there will be a higher percentage of um of people in America who do have um uh, a more varied ethnic um history, like right, than than just let's say all Anglo-Saxon or something like that. And so um I do think that that conversation is moving to the sidelines, however, it's definitely not gone. That mm. that conversation still happens, um, and and sadly, I mean, I think I don't hear the I do not hear Christians standing up and and just sort of reiterating over and over and over again. <laughs> this is we are you know there is a human race. There yeah. are there are right. not different races really. There is a human race. Um, and then there are people with varying degrees of pigmentation. Yeah. Mine happens to be very low. Yeah. You know, I, I think another angle of this, too, then, as we, as we dig in a little bit further on one more piece of it, is this idea that where they're heading post-palace life is, as you've already referenced, Carmen, they want to carve out this progressive new kind of niche within all of that. But but it really relates to the rise of they are going to now leverage their own personal brand. I mean, what is the – did I see something about they, they already have trademarked SussexRoyal.com or something, and they have a 100 different things that are underneath that brand, whether it be a line of clothes or any other things that can be sold related to it. And so, I mean, Carmen, have you seen some of this, the rise of, of that personal brand? There's a lot of different angles we can go, but am I do I have that right? There's something SussexRoyal.com? 
I'm sure you're on their you, website you, right now. <laughs> I'm not, but I, I will Google it right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, you're exactly right. Uh, I think that there's no question that uh, Meghan Markle, who already had a sense of a brand before she ever met um, Harry. Harry has a sense of a brand as well. It's just different. Yeah. Um, and and both of them have some ve- some shared concerns um, particularly about animals. She's particularly concerned about elephants. He's con- particularly concerned about rhinos. Um, I think that we are going to see them leverage their celebrity uh, for causes around the around the globe about which they are personally concerned that may or may not have been concerns of the crown. Mm. And I think that's a part of this. I think that um, when when you consider the kind of following that you can develop globally today, um, they want to develop a following that's not, in their view, confined to the British Empire. Yeah. Because, you know, right, Great Britain is an empire. I mean, technically living in Canada, you're still living under the queen, right? She's yeah. technically still the monarch. Um, but uh, but they don't want to just be celebrities in, you know, in what constitutes Great Britain around the globe. They want to be celebrities everywhere. And so there is a sense that there's a different kind of royalty today. Um, the Trumps would be examples of this. They're not royal, but they're the closest thing that we have to American mm-hmm. royalty. Think For about sure. the Kennedys. Yeah. I mean, that's the closest thing we right. have to uh, American royalty uh, in the past. Wouldn't be true anymore. So who are today's American royals? And it's not, you know, it's not the Kansas City crowd. Um, there are, uh, you know, there are people whose celebrity is, thank you, Nat, yeah, is no, so just, wise. I mean, just a little slow there. No, I really so hope there's nobody listening to the podcast from Kansas City. We just alienated an entire city. Uh, on that okay, one. but, but uh, that but guy I'm that here. plays for Cleveland, he is also not the king. No, I know. That's really true. We'll get to him in just a minute, but that's very true. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yes. No, that was actually a great segue over to that piece of it because I, you know, I, I have covered the NBA Okay, you've the past. used the term segue twice. Have you ever ridden a segue? Have you done a segue tour is, of is, any city you've ever been a in? A segue tour. I don't know the origin. Are we talking a linguistic? Etymology of Segway right now because I don't know what that means. No, 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 no. He does not know what a Segway is. What is a Segway? He doesn't doesn't even know that he's using a term that now has a different meaning than the one (laughs) that's like super old fashioned. Really? Which he's saying like tangent. Could you use the word tangent? Because there's not a product called a tangent, there's a product uh, called a Segway. And when you say Segway, people are seeing the Segway. They are not seeing the one you're trying to draw. I'm going to Google Segway. Did it originate in Sidonia? Is this where this word comes from? Because I. Don't know for sure what you are. Okay, so as people we don't take, know what we're talking as about. As we segwayed into a tangent, will you tell me what segway means? One of you two. Okay, it's two wheels. Yep, and it's sort of got like a handlebars, and so you stand on it, and okay. so it tips over if it's not on. Right, like there's no inherent balance. It's kind of like a bicycle. Is this true, Carmen? Yeah. So you stand on it, yeah. and it's on, and it uses it's, a whole bunch of computers and some electronics and motors, and it basically balances you. So you just lean, and it rolls. It's a, it's a, it's an <clears> like <throat> a, a. I would describe it as an electric, um, personal mobility device that people take tours on in cities all over the country. It's also yep. the thing that police officers use in really big like airports yep. to get very quickly from one place to another. Because it's like just the size of a person moving, but it can move pretty fast. I, I am going to find a different origin and etymology for this word between now <laughs> and the end of the till while we're talking about these things. So as we transition from this tangent over back to the king that you referenced uh, a second ago, Carmen, on the, it, the, the rise of the personal brand is actually really a thing. And, and I think they are uh, leveraging this idea of the personal brand, but it is something we're seeing increasingly in the generation moving forward. I, and you referenced the king, the guy from Cleveland, LeBron. Do you know? Well, now I just gave it away. Do you know his name? LeBron Carmen? James. 
Nice. That is, I mean, did I just exhaust?、Uh, I know how closely you follow the NBA day in and day out. So I was going to ask does anybody know why today in my Twitter feed, like all of a sudden, it's just full of basketball? Is that because my news football is over?、Too. And so, like, They think I'm now interested in another sport just、yeah. because, yeah, they're yeah, very、wrong. much as we're moving towards the trading deadline and the all star game and all those sorts of things. And, and so, but the king really was one of the original initiators of the rise of the personal brand. That is what Harry and Meghan are tapping into. And I will never forget the made for TV event where in his, he was granted free agency, fulfilled his contract with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and decided to hold this one hour program with some sort of journalist, I don't remember who, to announce his decision about where he was going to go. And that was that scandalous move where he left his hometown of Akron and Cleveland and headed to the Miami Heat. And he not only did that, but he had already previously. Banded together with two other major NBA superstars, and, and they were sort of the first of the NBA super teams. And w- the reason why he did it is that he saw that he was not having the success that、uh, his, some of his forebears in basketball were having, as defined by the number of championships that you would win. So Larry Bird was a Boston Celtic forever, Magic Johnson was a Los Angeles Laker forever, Michael Jordan, Chicago Bull forever, and they had this beautiful bond. Between themselves and the city, and they were all part of something bigger together. So, when they won the championship, they, were, they became legends in that city. And that was very financially lucrative to become a legend in these cities because you won your championship. LeBron couldn't win the championship. So, he decided, I'm going to go manufacture a way because I'm more about LeBron than I am about the city of Cleveland because I'm going to have to win championships in order to have a lucrative life moving forward. And that's really where so much of this started, where it is now all about LeBron and it is way less about any kind of institution, any kind of city, any kind of belonging, any kind of affiliation. So, the NBA has become a global brand, not because people in China and the billion people that follow the NBA in China.、Uh, That it's not because they care about the city of Cleveland. They might be following LeBron James or they might be following some other superstar. And that's what we're tapping into. I don't know what the downside is of all of it, but it's a really unique sociological phenomenon to be somebody who's following a person instead of something bigger than yourself. But I think we can dive into the Instagram conversations and how you're becoming social media influencers now. And it's all about the individual and how they can capture the attention of certain people. So, I don't know what you guys think about that piece of it and Harry and Meghan trying to become their own personal brand, but there's even some sort of overtures that Oprah helped them become a personal brand and really counseled them that they can make a lot of money in so doing. So, Carmen, any thoughts on that? And I'm looking up Segway, by the way, while you, <laughs> while you talk for a little bit. <laughs> so, I, I just feel like the, the whole concept of a personal brand,、um, particularly in relationship to the way the world commodifies everything. Um, I, I think that it doesn't surprise me that people who already have status, people who already have platform, would be looking for a way to materially capitalize upon that.、Um, that seems to be kind of the, the way this is going.、Um, I do think it's interesting that they, they don't seem to, and, and I could be wrong, you know, they're young, they're fairly young newlyweds, their marriage is not very old, and they've got a new baby. So, maybe they really have done this kind of leaving and cleaving kind of thing, but they don't appear to have a network of friends、um, who are sort of moving with them as their posse in all of this. And,、um, and I would say that's what I would look toward in terms of the development of this story. Who becomes the constellation of people sort of around them 
because one of the things that they've enjoyed as royals is um, uh, sort of the assignment of friends. Mm -hmm. Like, because there are certain people who you relate to, certain people who you spend time with, um, places where you go, and it's all planned for you um, because of who you are and what you're expected to do and how, and, and they're, so it will be interesting to see how they then move forward into the development of some kind of friend group um, and some kind of constellation of, of people around them, because otherwise their whole life is just going to become a business. And that's not that's not going to be very edifying for anybody. Well, and it occurs to me then that their life ends with themselves. When you're part of an institution and you're part of something bigger, you're, there's a legacy associated with that that is beyond just you. And I think it's one of the risks of the personal brand is it might feel really heady in the moment and it might be sort of intoxicating to grow your sense of a, of a name for yourself. But I think as we all know how quickly people are forgotten. I mean, I can't, like I said, I can't even remember the British royalty system at this point and they were probably very important in their day. But if Harry and Meghan and these NBA superstars and the Instagram social influencers and all of this whole rise of the personal brand, that story begins and ends with that person. And there seems to me some pretty significant downside to that, as opposed to saying, I am part of a long line of people. Maybe whatever this story is, is manifesting itself in a slightly different way in this generation and the generations to come. But I'm still part of something bigger. And I find my sense of identity in both the people who have gone before, the people who I'm currently walking with, and the people who will come after. Uh, I, I think about decisions being made now. For Hallie and me in our life, we think at our best, we're thinking about those decisions in light of the future, in light of what's going to happen with our kids and our kids' kids. And there's a great Sarah Grove song, uh, a local artist here in Minneapolis, where she sings about generations and and sort of the climactic moment of the song is to my great, great, great grandchildren live in peace. And she's thinking about the decisions she's making in the present on behalf of the future. I don't see any of that. And maybe I'm missing something here, but it does feel terribly self-absorbed to be only about your personal brand. Nat, I mean, am I, am I missing something here? No, I think you're right on all of that. Uh, I'd like to, I guess, question the fact that uh, we're putting out our own podcast and I definitely have my own logo for my own stuff. Like, And all our social media inherently is curated, whether we wanted to or not. Yeah. Just the fact of you creating and publishing something means that you've directed it. So, like, we're all sort of building a personal brand. And I like what you linked it back to it being part of something longer and something that that lasts more, uh, you know, to the rest of your family and stuff. But, Carmen, you have your name in part of the brand of your show and this sort of a whole network of of media that you produce and bobbleheads and everything. Yeah, yes. I do. I, I'm looking at my Carmen bobblehead on the desk right here. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just curious. Like, I'm not really. No, you're you exactly right. No, you're totally, you're totally. It's, I, I didn't even occur question. to me. Like, yeah, no, I mean, okay. it, that's, yeah, so you okay. can go to reconnect with Carmen.com, right? Right. There's a, uh, it's branded. I mean, there's, you're right. Um, uh, so it's, it's difficult to, um, be in ministry outside outside of an institution. Here's, yes. This would be the right. parallel that I would draw here. Yes. Right. So um, although I am on the staff of the University of Northwestern St. Paul as the host of a particular program, which they named the name of the program that I started was called the Reconnect. Right. It didn't have my name in it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I moved over to Connecting Faith. And then uh, they wanted me to move to the mornings and they picked a name and that's mornings with Carmen yep. mornings with Carmen LaBerge. 
So yes, so there is, and, and why? Why? Because my name actually has some cred out there that the Reconnect didn't have, right? And so there's there's credibility related to the name. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how Harry and Meghan um, brand themselves. And it sounds like they're branding themselves as royals. Yeah, which that's... So, so that's, that's interesting, right? Yeah. So they, they they want their cake. That's what we've been saying. They want to stay within it, but only to use it maybe for their, their own brand. Okay, you almost you almost led us to a conversation just a second ago Segway. about the next about the next generation. I did. I'm not using the term. No, no, listen. It's, okay, it's, so it since we're almost mean there, the same culturally, no, 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 I, I looked it up. S S E G U E, and I even looked up the pronunciation. Segway. A segue is a smooth transition. When you segue in conversation, you change the topic so smoothly. This is clearly representative of me. Uh, a topic so smoothly that people might not even notice. A good speaker knows how to segue, get from one topic to another so easily that the heart. I'm just. Would the two of you like to repeat? Kent, uh, live here on the till right now? No, what we're trying to communicate to you is people can't see spelling on the radio. And so although <laughs> the segue that you're referring to, which is S-E-G-U-E, yeah. Yeah. and the segue, S-E-G-W-A-Y. That is coming up in my Google feed, too. people are riding uh. on around the world today. Um, people can't hear the difference. And so uh. a Mr. Vocabularyist... Um, or vocabularian, <laughs> if when you are in like teaching mode with, yes. you know... Your, your fancy higher ed words. I know. Um, sometimes I know. you just going to have to say, I'm not talking about the thing that people are riding around a segue. I'm talking about a segue in a conversation. So is there a different Smooth way to transition. pronounce these things? Is there a different way to pronounce these? That, that's no, very helpful for me. They sound exactly they the really same. They really are like the there same and there. thing. Oh, okay. I also have one thing to add here. If yeah. you say that you're using a segue, sort of by definition, it's pointing out that there's a segue and thus it's not a smooth mm. transition that people wouldn't notice. All right. I stand corrected. Well, we were transitioning a second ago to <laughs> Carmen. Uh, Carmen, you were taking us into a different conversation that was far I was, more important I have, than the segue. Come on. Uh, okay. Okay. So here's what I have in mind, and I'm going to have to look up this child's name. Does anybody know the name of Harry and Megan's baby? Uh, Archie. Okay. How does I Archie think. feel about all of this? Because I am thinking Archie wants to be raised with those other little royal people. Right. I mean, like, I think he's, right? nine, he's probably nine months old at this point, but you, you think about what that means for his future. Truly. Right? I mean, and he's now being led down a pathway because of his parents' decisions that he doesn't it's have a choice in the matter. way less cool to grow up in Canada and the United States <laughs> it than it is, is to grow up in England with the fancy stuff. Absolutely. We do not. I mean, like our horses and carriages are like in, in places like Williamsburg. They're not in like they're not like fancy with the guys with the big hats and yeah, yeah. I don't know yeah, yeah. I feel sorry for Archie I do too and you bring up raising kids like this too I think there is one more angle even for listeners thinking that they have their own children maybe their own families there is a lot we wouldn't maybe call it raising our kids to develop a personal brand but I, I would suggest there's a lot of pressure these days to raise your children so that they have their own resume. And, mm-hmm. and I have even heard the term brand mm-hmm. used related to that. There is a sense in which I think this pressure and this sort of emphasis on the individual extends beyond people who are famous using their brand. Like I think it bleeds into our everyday life when we're trying to raise our kids. And I don't know what the alternative is. But clearly in a, in a culture and in a situation where it is your own individual personal happiness and it's be whatever you want to be, when that is the the soup in which we find ourselves kind of just mixing around in all day long, I don't. what's the alternative? What's the alternative to raising our kids 
besides trying to get their resume together in a way so they can lead a quote unquote successful life by whatever metrics we define as success. Is there an alternative to this? I don't know, but okay. So in order to be like a really good violinist, don't you have to start when you're like four? So it's like the parent's decision to send their kids off. And like that transitions or continues on throughout childhood, right? Like parents setting up all these activities and stuff like it really is building your brand so that you can get into a name university. It absolutely and is. Not a hundred percent sure how that works for parenting, but also kids don't always make the best choices. So, I mean, you know, that's why there is parenting. Yeah. I mean, Carmen, you're, you're obviously part of a family raising some kids. I mean, how do how do I don't know how I honestly, I'm at a little bit of a loss. I don't know what the alternative is in, in terms of otherwise, other than, having our kids get interested in certain activities and then really trying to foster those activities. What, what, what's the option here? So I think depending where you live, um, everybody probably has um, parts of town and institutions and schools and churches that if you are a part of all of those, then your kids are being um, become friends with and cultivate relationships with and therefore a uh, a heritage with the people who everybody seems to know are going to be the future leaders of your town or city. I mean, it doesn't matter if we're talking about Kentland, Indiana, or if we're talking about Nashville, Tennessee, or if we're talking about London, England. Everybody kind of knows in all of those places who the generation of kids are who are going to be the future leaders based on who is in what uh, country club and goes to what school mm-hmm. and knows one another and is going to marry each other and you know, I mean, I I don't want to say that, you know, it's it's sort of already cooked, but in terms of those kinds of things, it's pretty much baked into the cake. Yeah. And um and so, you know, I, I kind of tongue in cheek said I feel sorry for Archie. The thing about it that I that I'm concerned about for him is he's gonna be extracted from the environment in which um, you know, if he ever does grow up when he grows up, if he wants to actually functionally become a royal, hmm. he's not going to have been raised in an environment where he learned enough about how to do that. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a, and, and he didn't have the choice, right. To do so. Right. And, and, uh, and I think when you reference even that idea of who gets an opportunity even to make their personal brand, it, it is not a fair question among all kids. I, no. I know you and I are both suckers for Malcolm Gladwell and I love his book, the tipping point when he just did that simple study about who succeeded in mm-hmm. Canadian hockey. And it basically boil down to who was born in January versus who was born in September. Just even having a six month head start in your physical development meant that you were going to continue to then get opportunities ahead of your peers. And so maybe there was a small gap at the age of six, but because opportunities tend to go to those people who demonstrate some level of proficiency or talent or ability or aptitude or whatever it happens to be, more opportunities come, the gap grows, the gap grows from there. And, uh, and pretty soon you have the situation where maybe a young, there's a hundred young people in a school that really want to create their own personal brand, but only 10% of them really truly have an opportunity to do so. Or one person, one person. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's just limited. We have limited bandwidth in terms of what we pay attention to. Well, and the lifespan of the personal brand for people who are not royalty, right? I mean, I go back to the social influencer that it can be, again, pretty intoxicating for a young person to suddenly have thousands of people following them on Instagram or whatever it happens to be. And they're even identified as a social media influencer. But what's the lifespan of that job? And and how extreme do you have to become? And is that really fulfilling to be your own person and and having all these followers for this period of time? And that that seems like and the social media heard, that can change on a dime. I mean, Nat, do you follow any young people that are sort of Instagram 
social media influencers and the things that they do? I tend to shy away from that culture a little bit, but totally. I mean, there's people who pop up and you have that's just where the cultural following is going to go. Uh, my thought with what you're pushing back on, though, is this kind of fights against the American dream rationale that hard work will get you anywhere in society, at least with relative barriers from the culture, not necessarily barriers in terms of work, right? It's through hard work, you can get anywhere, which isn't necessarily always the case, right? Yeah. Well, and, and just the sense, I'm not sure with that hard work, there's also a sense that it might have not been the rise of the personal brand, but it was that at the age of 18, you better leave the home, right. work hard and make a way for yourself. So this is just in maybe another extension of what has always been a bit of sort of the individualistic mindset to make a way for yourself. And it's just another expression of that that has been greatly empowered by things like mobility and technology and the ability to get known on a global basis very quickly. Carmen, any last points on that? We just got a couple minutes left of the episode. Okay, I have uh, I have one little uh, analogy to draw. Um, so we as Christians are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We're God's own people. Our Father is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have the most royal blood of all um, because it was royal blood. Actually, the most royal blood of all spilled for us. Um, and therefore, if we are in Christ and Christ is in us, then you know we are co heirs of the kingdom of heaven. And so I just think that for each one of us to even ask ourselves, do I want all the privileges of that and none of the responsibility? And if so, then how much am I like Harry and Megan in this whole conversation? Yeah, I think that's very fair. It's a good closing point, uh, Carmen. That gives us actually a great segue to wrap up this episode <laughs> for today. And that is segue. How do I spell it the right way? Uh, give it to me more time, the Carmen. G, with the G. With G-U-E. Well, they both have a G, but it's the G-U-E one that you're trying to say. <laughs> it, it's like silence, silent French letters. You don't pronounce the segue. You just roll through it. Yeah, well, there he's, is. A, he can't. He I can't, can't help himself. I can't at all. I can't at all. Well, that that does it. Thanks for uh, listening to this episode. On behalf of Carmen LeBurge and Nat Becker, I am Peter Kapsner. Catch us next time here on the Till.